Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Aaron Rodgers. Yes, yet again. You know, it's been nearly a week since the Aaron Rodgers story jumped a couple of DEFCOM levels. And yet, it's still showing no signs of easing off or slowing down. In fact, it's now going next level. Now we're at the possible trade destinations for Aaron Rodgers level. And what could those teams offer the Packers level? And the fact that it even reached this level will never not be stupid. I mean, it really is incredible to think that nearly a week out from the news bulletin that started this round, there has been nothing to walk it back, nothing to calm it down. And now we're actually talking about who might have the best package to offer the Packers. It's gotten to that point. Who might have the best package to offer the reigning league MVP? When was the last time the reigning league MVP was trade bait? The last time? I'm going to say never, because why the hell would you look to trade the best player in the league? Who would do something that stupid? Who would put themselves into a position where they had no choice but to do something that stupid? This is stupid! And I will say this right now. Seeing Aaron Rodgers in an orange crush jersey would be the weirdest thing ever, because it's looking more and more like that might actually happen. That would be... The weirdest thing ever, even more weird than seeing Peyton Manning in Broncos gear. And that dude won a Super Bowl with them, and that still looked weird. But not this weird. I mean, I understand why he ended up going there. Yes, he put up numbers when he first got there, but the dude's neck was fused together. In the end, he was not nearly the player he once was. He was all noodle-armed, could barely get the ball to the sideline. And the Colts happen to have a future Hall of Famer in the waiting, or so they thought. The Packers, on the other hand, have a totally different situation. The Packers have a Hall of Famer coming off an MVP season, and they've got a third stringer who has proven nothing at all, who is not ready, waiting in the wings. Love is not Andrew Luck. So... Of course the Broncos want to take another shot at this. Of course the Broncos want to try to run this back. In the end, Pinky was a shadow of himself. Rodgers, though, is still playing at a very high level. Rodgers also would be running on the greatest rocket fuel ever. So again, the Packers could not have handled this any worse than they did. And yet, even though they butchered it and botched it, It somehow still could have been salvageable. It could have been worked out as long as they did everything in their power to fix it and make it right, considering they were the ones who broke it, considering they were the ones that brought this on themselves, considering they've got nobody to blame but themselves, but they still could have fixed it. They still could have made it right, but they're not. And the question is, why the hell aren't they? And even if they are trying now, given how badly they butcher this, apparently it's already too late. So, bottom line, how did it get to this point? Why is Aaron Rodgers so pissed? How far back does this go? When did it start? I don't know. When did it start? Did it start with the Jordan Love pick? Or did it go back even further? And can you say that it started when they did not involve Rodgers with the hiring of Matt LaFleur? Or could you even argue that it goes all the way back to the day of Mike McCarthy when Rodgers had to carry that guy? 
And that's not an easy guy to carry, right? Look at him. Had to carry that guy every single year. Either way, this has been brewing for a long, long time. And the team had to have known, had to have known what was going on. The team had to have known that they had a fire burning out of control. But instead of dousing that fire with water, they hit it with lighter fluid. They trade up. They draft a replacement quarterback in the first round of 2020. I mean, that's fine. That's right. They've got to look out for their organization. I mean, it does seem incredibly dumb that they did so at a time when the guy was coming off a 4,000-yard season and four INTs total and a trip to the NFC Championship game. But whatever, do what's best for the organization. You can come up with a plan if you'd like. Do your thing. And by the way, it's not the pick per se. It's how they handle that pick. If you're going to draft, arguably, the best player ever's replacement, then you tell that guy before you do that. And then you tell him why you're doing that. And hell yes, you owe that to Aaron Rodgers. I'm not saying he's going to be happy about that. But he'll be a hell of a lot happier if you shoot him straight, you look him in the eye, and you tell him what you're doing and why you're doing it. And again, hell yes, you do owe that to that guy. Don't tell me you don't. He's Aaron freaking Rodgers. You owe him that. But the moment you take a quarterback in the first round, that clock starts ticking. At some point, you need to figure out. You need to find out whether or not that quarterback can play. So, the Packers had their plan in place. They had their plan to move on from Rodgers when they selected Love. Except Rodgers jacked that plan up by going out and having one of the best seasons, not just of his career, but in NFL history. He threw for 4,300 yards, 48 TDs, and just five INTs. So, if it feels like they weren't pumped to see the guy play some of the best ball of his entire career but rather that they were pissed that he was jacking with their timeline, like they had already decided exactly what they were going to do with love. If it feels that way, it's because that's exactly what happened. Like, oh, crap. Now what are we going to do? Rodgers is still the best quarterback in the league. The hell are we going to do now? I'll tell you what we're not going to do. We're not going to change our plan. We got a plan. This guy could throw for 100 TDs and 9,000 yards and no picks. We stay the freaking course. You plan your work. You work your plan. No matter how bad that plan is and how dominant your Hall of Famer is at quarterback. So what do we have here? We got ourselves a power struggle. A power for who's going to implement their plan. A battle for control. Control of the agenda. The team wants it on their terms. The player wants it on his terms. And now they're fighting over a timeline. And apparently both sides are dug the hell in. Like Rogers wants to hear, man, we appreciate you, dude. We appreciate the hell out of you. You're our guy. We're committed to you now. And we're committed to you in the future. And here's how. We'll prove it to you. We're going to prove it to you by guaranteeing you more money since you have no guaranteed money left. And we're going to give you more time. Obviously, that guy's not hearing that. If he were, he'd be coming back. In short, the team is picking the unproven QB and the GM over the NFL MVP and the first ballot Hall of Famer. They are. Like, if you're Goots, you might tell yourself, we didn't draft love to sit him for three years. Yeah, maybe not. 
but that's exactly what you should do if you have the current league MVP. Yeah, but that wasn't our plan. Great. Change the plan. Because in case you're not paying attention, Rodgers already changed your plan by balling out his ass. And this is so easy. You pick the league MVP over your garbage plan. You ditch the plan. You have your MVPs back. You're really going to pick Love over Rodgers. Based on what? The hell has he shown you? You and I really haven't seen Jordan Love. But apparently the team has. They've seen him in practice. If this guy were lighting it up and doing amazing things, we would have heard about that by now. If this was an Alex Smith, Patrick Mahomes situation, we would know about that by now. But that's not what's happening. That hasn't come out. So bottom line, you want your legacy to be that you picked love over the MVP. You want your legacy to be you picked the GM over your NFL MVP QB. You want to be known for that. Yeah, you go right ahead. I'm not doing that. You're not putting that on my tombstone. You picked love and goots over Rodgers. And yes, I know that even great quarterbacks do not always get to end their careers the way they'd like to. Tom Brady left New England. Yeah, because Bob Kraft chose Bill Belichick over him. I even understand that on some record. Belichick has a track record. Brian G, however, is not Bill B. So here's some free advice to the Packers. Admit and own the mistake. Apologize to your most important player ever. Tell him you're going to do everything you can to make it right. And if you can't do that, and sticking to your plan, and being right is more important than doing the right thing, then you go right ahead and do that. Move Rodgers, give the ball to love, and let everybody know you pick your third-string quarterback and your GM over your league MVP. I don't know. Sounds like the worst plan ever to me. And no way I would ever do it. But you do you, Goots. You do what's best for your organization, even if what's best for the organization is tearing it down and wrecking it. Plan your work and work your plan, and you stick to that plan no matter what. A eh, Goots? If you want to be the guy who chose Jordan Love over Aaron Rodgers, and you want that to be your legacy, you be my guest. It ain't going to be me. It ain't going to be me. 1-800-636-8686. This is still a thing. Obviously. Still very much a thing. Listen, small changes towards a healthier lifestyle can add up in a big, big way. But maybe you're not sure exactly where to begin. I'm here to help. Let me introduce to you Grove Collaborative. 70% of people say they want to use natural products, but only 2% actually do. Why is that? Because what they sell at the store is from the biggest companies, not necessarily the ones that are the best for you. So once again, where do you start? You start with Grove Collaborative. Grove is the online marketplace that delivers healthy home, beauty, and personal care products directly to you. Grove Collaborative takes the guesswork out of going green. You can browse the site for thousands of home, beauty, and personal care products, all guaranteed to be good for you, your family, your home, and the planet. Honestly, I wanted to be healthier. I just did not know where to go or where to look. Not for these types of products, but now I do. Grove Collaborative. Join the over 2 million households who have trusted Grove Collaborative to make their homes happier and healthier. And shipping is fast and free on your first order. 
Making the switch to natural products has never been easier. And for a limited time, when you go to Grove dot co slash rome you get to choose a free gift with your first order of thirty dollars or more but you have to use our special code go to grove dot co slash rome and get your exclusive offer that's grove dot co slash rome kamaru usman is joining us kamaru it is so good to have you on the program how are you today I am fantastic, and uh, what an introduction. Thank you so much. My man, it is great to have you on, and my pleasure to give you that introduction. You certainly have earned it. You've had a few days since UFC 261 to reflect. I've got to ask you, when you look back on that win over Masvidal, and it was an electric performance, what are the types of feelings and thoughts you have about the show you put on that night? Um, I'm, I'm just excited. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just blessed because all the hard work and all the everything that I've put into my career is starting to come to flourishing at the right time. And so it's very rare to see it happen and um, to be witnessing it unfold right in front of my eyes. I'm just, I'm thrilled and I'm excited. Kamara Usman is joining us, you know, in your sport, and especially when you're at the top of your sport, so much of it is about not winning, not just winning, but how you win. That knockout was a thing of beauty. How did it feel when you connected on that shot? And Masvidal obviously is not an easy guy to take out. Did you know that when you landed that shot that it was game over for him? Well, uh, that shot is, is, I understand that my right hand is something that, uh, that could put anyone out. And it's just building the confidence to be able to do it against some of the best fighters ever in the world. And it just takes time and time and repetition. And, and of course, having my coaches let me know that, hey, you've got this power. You, you, you are able to put people out in the way that you want. But it takes time and discipline to actually train and trust in that. And especially with a guy like Masvidal, this is a very seasoned fighter, a very seasoned striker. He's a guy that, that that's that's very especially with the stand up. He's he's is very, very good with some of the subtleties and some of the things that he's able to do in there. And so in that situation and that sequence of setting that up, I just envisioned it over and over while I was training because Masvidal is a, a great boxer who loves to roll punches off his chain, which is something that boxers do. But it's very, very difficult to do in MMA because our gloves are much smaller. But Masvidal gets away with it. So basically, I had to go somewhere that he's never really seen is being able to trust in my abilities, punching with a guy like that, knowing that I'm only wearing four-ounce gloves and not boxing gloves. I actually love that description, that technical breakdown. Kamara Usman joining us. All those things are so true. His stand-up game is so good. He is such a good striker. He is so crafty. He is so experienced. And he can do so many different things. And then on top of that, of course, there was there was bad blood. In fact, I was interviewing him, Kamara, at Super Bowl when the two of you had exchanged words. He left my set to go over to talk to you. And you could tell that that was, that was not for show. There was some bad blood. After you knocked him out, he told Ariel Hawani, and I quote, I thought he was going in for a shot, and by the time I realized it wasn't a shot, it was too late. Quote, he sold it to me beautifully. Of that moment, I am a fan because I love this sport so much. It was beautiful technique. End of quote. Like, I really like the way he handled that. He showed a lot of respect. 
in the past, things were not great between the two of you. But then after the fight, the two of you did hug it out. And you said, let's drop this bleep, man. So let me ask you, what did you make of his reaction to the fight? And how would you describe the relationship and respect respect the two of you have for each other now? Yeah, I mean, I've always, uh, as a fighter, I always respect any man who's willing to step in there and compete against me. And, and that was one of the things that uh, I initially I liked about Masvidal is is the fact that yes he as a fighter he goes out there and he steps in that octagon with 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 courage and, and he goes out there and fights. Now in the buildup, I don't know where things went south to where he started feeling like um, that I was. I mean even some of the things that were said, oh he's a coward, he's this, he's that, and and that's. I don't know whether that was just him building the hype or building the fight or whatever it was, but, you know, I was offended by that. And so when it came down to it, we actually stepped in there. We took care of business as men. And then afterwards, you got to be able to let it go and, and move forward. Because if you don't, that takes from you. It takes a piece of you that you have to carry around for the rest of your life or the rest of your career. And, and so that, that's just that's the beauty of what we do. You may have problems with a man on the outside, but you get a date to settle it. And we got in there and we settled it. And, you know, we hug it out at the end of the day as men and we move forward. Kamaru Usman is joining us. You know, I wonder about the way you ended that fight, too. Like, you were the champ, and there was no doubt about that. But seemingly, there seems like that wasn't good enough for everybody. And you also understand how that goes. It's never going to be good enough for everybody but in the way that you ended that fight, your striking has gotten so much better and it was so explosive. Do you think that if there were any more critics or anybody who had anything to say that you have now shut everybody up with the way you won that fight? I would hope so. Um, I would I would completely hope so because I've, I've, since I, I got into the sport, I didn't necessarily get into this to, to be liked by people or or, or to for the fame or the money or any aspect. I got into this solely because I wanted to compete. I wanted to be the best. I saw something that I could compete in and I said, you know what, I'm willing to do the work and I'm willing to become the best at that. Now, part of being the best is being acknowledged and respect as respected as the best. And over time, it's just, once I got there, it's like, oh, they were like, people were still kind of uh, reserved about it. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about this to where it's okay. This is what you guys are asking for. You're saying that you want this. I'm not violent enough. That's what you really want. All right. I'm going to give it to you and I'm going to serve it to you on a golden buffet, a platter for you to, to, to understand and for you to eat it up. And so I went out there to UFC 261 and I did that for them. And so now what can they say? <laughs> That's my thing. My man, violence served on a golden platter. I like that. I like that a lot. Listen, you, you're you fighting for something greater than, as you point out, money, fame, shiny things, a boat, a watch, a home. We're talking about intangible things. And I'm watching the way you reacted after the fight. And I think a lot of this has got to come from the way you came up, right? Your family, the things you learned from your parents. What did it mean to you to put the belt around your father's waist after that fight? What was that moment like? Can you describe exactly what that meant to you and your family? Oh, it was incredible. Um, that's something that I, I, I dreamt about and, and 
and wished on for a long, long time. And for it to actually come to reality is, is unreal. It's surreal to me because when I became champion in 2019, I was just like, oh man, I don't know if I'll ever be able to get a chance to put this belt around my father because each and every fight, you no one, you never know. And that's the thing, you, I gotta be honest with myself as a human, is you never know. Anything can happen in a fight. As we saw with Chris Weidman, um, you never know. And so, to be able to have that dream and then have it come to fruition, it's just, it's, it's incredible. And it's just something that just, you know, reiterates and lets me know that I am blessed. So, yeah, I was going to ask you about Weidman, and I would ordinarily, but I do want to ask you this. After that win at UFC 261, Dana White said that Kobe Covington, quote, is the clear-cut guy now, end of quote, is your opponent. You've already beaten him. Is that the way you see it? Is that a fight that interests you? Or how do you see that? Um, at the end of the day, is it a fight that interests me? Uh, not so much. I mean, it is what it is. Uh, if I have to fight him, I will fight him because that's the case. At, at, at one point, it's, it's, it's whoever they put in front of me, I'm willing to go out there, compete with, and, and beat up. And they've put Covington in front of me. And I went out there and, and I took care of business. Um, and they, you know, the same with, with um, Leon Edwards, the same with Jorge Masvidal, the same with Tyron Woodley, the same with all these guys. You know, they Gilbert Burns, they put those guys in front of me and I go out there and I take care of business. But at this point, I've kind of ran through the whole lineup of the guys that they could put in front of me. And Covington hasn't really done anything spectacular for me to say, oh, wow. I'm motivated by that guy again. I need to go out there and fight him. So where does that leave you? You're exactly right. I mean, everybody they've put in front of you, you have beaten. So if this doesn't necessarily interest you, who does? Uh, yeah, I, we don't. I don't know because uh, you know my my moods and my feelings change on the daily. I mean, after last fight with uh, Burns, I was home for maybe two, three days, and I got bored. And I got into the gym, and then I gave a call to my manager, and I said, hey, fine, whoever's next, I want to fight someone now. And we made it happen just like that. It's kind of been a, it's been a week now, and I'm not going to lie to you, Jim. I'm starting to get a little, I'm starting to get a little bored, and, and, and we don't – who knows? I hear there's this little uh, YouTube Disney kid running his mouth and saying that he's going to do this and this and that to me, and – you know, I'm not. I don't make it a habit of beating up fake fighters, but you know, if it turns out to be something that that makes sense, and the world really wants me to go out there and, and, and put my foot in this kid's mouth, then I might actually have to do that. But if it turns out that you know Covington can kind of create that buzz that get me off the couch and 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 really give that some attention then I might do that as well. Nothing is off the table because I never say never to anything. But at the end of the day, I just need something to motivate me there. Because if they don't, then I'm just going to work on something outside of the case that's going to at least keep me entertained and motivated. Kamaru Usman joining us for a couple more moments. Man, that is such an interesting and honest response. I mean, what about that YouTube Disney kid? You know, for instance, if they were to set that up and that would ever go down, there would be boxing rules like you couldn't, put your foot in this guy's mouth as much as I think a lot of people would like to see that. I mean, it could, would you, I don't want to say, would you lower yourself to that? Because I would imagine they would stack a lot of cash for you, but could you see something like that ever happening 
And would you be a party to it? I mean, would you do it? Um, it's not. It's not a matter of me lowering myself to that. Um, I think it's at this point it's going to be um, me teaching them a lesson because um, there's there's boundaries and there's certain things that you don't do. I understand we live in a society now to where all these guys are just all about the five seconds of fame and the clout, and that's really what they're after. But at the end of the day. My myself being a actual real fighter, it's it's my responsibility to go out there and, and, and teach this kid a lesson and let him know that hey, this is real fighting. This is not fake fighting. This is not set up. We don't hand pick certain guys that we actually take care of business. So if there's enough demand for the world that to really want me to go out there and shut this kid up, I absolutely will do it. I've proven that, you know, I I whether it's boxing, whether it's kickboxing, whether it's MMA, I can do it all. You see in my fights, I don't tremendously throw kicks, even though I absolutely can knock someone out with a kick. I don't necessarily throw them. I'm, I'm really interested in throwing hands and really hurting someone with my hands if I have to. I don't know, man. I like. I never thought that I would see a day where I would spend time talking to the champ <laughs> about a YouTuber. And, and I absolutely. am... And I am, and I, like, I even want to ask you one more thing. Like, like I love Ben Askren, dude. Like, he is such a good wrestler. He is such a good dude. He is such a good character. I, I can't say that I'm not disappointed by what happened. I'm not really surprised. But as somebody in that game, were you disappointed to see Askren go out the way he did? Absolutely, I, I was. But um, at the end of the day, I understand as an athlete as well, I understand that there comes a time where you kind of pass that you, you kind of lose that fire and, and, and it's been that way for a long time. There's no fire there when it comes to that guy. And so, um, so to, to watch that happen and, and they knew it too. Those YouTubers knew it, which is why they handpicked him. They knew it too. And so they handpicked him because they felt like this was easy prey. That's going to get them a little bit more clout, a little bit more people to talk about them. And they did that. But when it comes to actually handpicking and going after a real, real fighter, and this is where we draw the line, which is probably why Mayweather has, has, has agreed to go through, you know, this whole basically training and, and having to fight this kid and, and vice versa. If that happens to be the case, then it's, you know, it becomes a responsibility that as real fighters that we have to go out there and really let these guys know that there's boundaries. You guys are, YouTubers just looking for fame, and it's real fighting here, and we have to teach them that lesson. 100%. I think that's kind of what DC, what Daniel Cormier was trying to impress upon him. But yeah. again, man, those YouTubers, say what they what you want about them. They may cross the boundary. They may not be, quote, real fighters, but they're good at what they do. Like, that was smart. I'd even argue that that went as well for that guy as it did DC, even though DC was trying to say, hey, listen, man. You're crossing boundaries here. We are real fighters here. Yet the YouTuber kind of gets over in the exchange because he got him, he kind of hooked him, right? He kind of baited him into responding. Again, we've spent a lot of time on the YouTuber. They got over. They got over on me. They got me to talk about him again. Last, <laughs> last thought. Listen, Kamara, when you talk about what's interesting to you and the fact you've beaten everybody put in front of you, it, is GSP in the back of your mind at all? Because when we talk about the greatest 170-pound fighters of all time, it's you and it's him. Is that something that's in the back of your mind? Could that ever happen? Absolutely. It was, it was in the back of my mind, and it was something that I uh, 
that I, I definitely was was interested in and, and given a lot of, of of thought to. But over time, I started to to watch that dwindle away and started to realize that uh, that it potentially won't happen. And I had to come to terms with that because at the end of the day, and George St. Pierre has come to terms with this. At the end of the day, there's the best fighters at different eras and different times. And while George was in this sport, he was the best. He knew that. And that era has passed, and he's honest with himself about that. And I think there's one the one quote that he said, and he said, "Fighters of today, or fighters, you know, fighters of, of today are better than fighters of yesterday, and fighters of tomorrow will be better than fighters of today." And that is such an honest statement. And and, and the fact that he knows that and he acknowledges that is is so real, because at the end of the day, fighters will improve, they will get better, they will learn from all the techniques that we're doing now. Just like we have learned from all the techniques that George and these guys used to do. Of course, George can still, in some ways, compete, which is why that fight intrigued me. But I understand and I know that he's being honest with himself by saying, I'm going to walk away because I don't want to come in and potentially be hurt by these fighters of this new generation who know more than we did in our in our height of our careers. So finally, I never ever keep a guest this long, but this conversation has been so fascinating. I appreciate you so much for doing it. If it's really hard, a final thought, if it's really hard to compare athletes in any sport from one generation across to another, that said, is your end goal to go down as the greatest fighter in UFC history? Is that important to you? I think when, by the time, I, I, don't, I don't really place a lot of importance into that, that title per se right now. But I think if I continue to focus on the next ta- the next task at hand and the next opponent at hand, by the time I'm said and done, everyone will look back on my career as they are comparing now and say, wow, this guy really was something special because he went through everyone. Not only once, he did it twice and basically cemented himself as the best to ever do it. I think so. I think that's fair. UFC welterweight champion. He defeated Jorge Masvidal by knockout at UFC 261. That makes 14 straight UFC wins. Second longest winning streak in UFC history. Kamaru Usman, champ. Great to have you on the show. And I do apologize. I did not mean to keep you that long. I got a little caught up in the conversation, man. So good to talk to you, though. Thank you very much for doing that. Absolutely. I mean, it's my pleasure. And it's, uh, you know, it's one of those things that I, I, I... I, I'm, I'm glad to actually be able to, to have conversations about certain things. Of course, the YouTuber, he sneaks in there here and there, which is what he wanted the whole time. But obviously, it is what it is. Now I'm just, uh, you know, seeing what's next and focus on basically um, I'm doing what I need to do and, and outside of the, the octagon. And, uh, you know, part of that is, you know, I will have my own NFT collection dropping to collaboration with Impossible Brief. Amazing guys. NFT collection will be dropping May 16th, and um, you know I'm excited for that. And that I would say now that's the next chapter is building things outside of the octagon. Hey, listen, because you are so good on all things inside the octagon, anytime you want to come on and talk about things outside the octagon, I would have the same interest and enthusiasm to hear about that too. So keep that in mind, right? The door is always open for you right here, and I would love to get into those things with you too. Thank you so much, Jim. I appreciate it. Hey, you want to hear something absolutely amazing? 
Discover matches all the cash back that you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year automatically with no limit on how much you can earn. Now, how amazing is that? No limit. In fact, it's even more amazing when you consider all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. That's where. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. Discover.com slash yes. 2021 Nielsen Report. Limitations do apply. Knocking on the plastic case of beef. Let's do this. This is going to be a good start. I already love this one. A little bit long form, but really good. Jimmy, my beef is with the asshat who buys the retired police cruiser, a.k.a. the Ford Crown Victoria, and drives it as their everyday rig. Imagine heading home from work, doing 37 in a 30, trying to catch the tail end of the Cardinals day game spotting a black and white squad car and slamming on the brakes only to realize it's some 17-year-old neckbeard with gauged ears smoking an e-cig headed to work and a grueling four-hour night shift at Little Caesars. Jake and Wisco, like I literally would walk off on that. I would end the segment right now. I'm done. See you next Wednesday. That is so good. I love that, especially the Ford Crown Victoria reference. Jake, good job, dude. If there were a golden ticket for beefs, I'd give you one right now. That's one of the best beefs ever. I mean, in in notion and the way it's so well written, good job, dude. Hey, Rome, my beef is with my neighbor two doors down who has not mowed his lawn in two months. Already, another great one. So is that idiot who's wrecking the home values. All right, I I digress. Let me finish. Hey, Rome, my beef is with my neighbor two doors down who hasn't mowed his lawn in two months and has grass three feet tall. Listen, you son of a bitch. The rest of us are not out there or are out there in 95-degree heat busting our asses to keep our landscaping up to code. You, on the other hand, have the Portland woman of lawns. Do us all a favor and clean it up. Chad in Orlando. That is the best start to a beef segment ever. Back-to-back dongs. Please, please, do us all a favor and clean it up. Let's see. Here comes a lady clone. Rome Slice, my beef is with my next-door neighbor in my apartment building who cannot manage to close his front door without slamming it. Hey, idiot, the door will close just fine by itself without you having to rear back and fling it like you're Nolan freaking Ryan. Do better. Melissa in NoCal, back to back to back to start the game. Jim, beef is with people who still repeat the phrase, insanity is the definition of doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. The definition of a worn-out phrase is repeating it over and over and expecting it to still sound profound. So shut the hell up. Max in the NY, and that makes four. I'm telling you, I don't know what's going on today. I don't know what's in the beef. But that's four in a row, right off the top. Guarantee this guy will wreck it. He wrecks everything else. In fact, you know what? Get rid of that. I'm not going to read your crap, Brett. We're four for four. 
Why do I need you to punch out looking? Rome, my beef is when low-level businesses like food trucks take my payment and then flip the screen around so I have to proactively select no tip. It's a bleeping food truck and I'm buying $3 garlic fries that you're handing me through a window. Why is this a tipping scenario? Haley in San Francisco. War lady clones. How do you know she's a lady? Haley? All right. All right. My bad. No offense. Hales. Hey, Jim. My beef is with Fatso Wells dressing his young son up in a taco costume. Taco costume for Cinco de Mayo and posting it on Twitter. Who does that? I'm concerned that Wells might actually eat him. Stop embarrassing yourself and your young son, Wells, and hit up a Taco Bell, fatty. Brent and PC, you call or stand no chance today. Hey, Jim. My beef is with the classic rock station that plays the same two or three Metallica songs. Metallica is one of the most accomplished rock bands of all time with dozens of classic songs. But my classic rock station seems to only play Enter Sandman and Nothing Else Matters. As if those were their only hits. Andrew in Seatown. That's fair. Rome Slice. What's my beef? My son. He assured me that I would receive a lifetime supply of old trapper beef jerky if he called your show and told a fake story. Signed, Mark in Humboldt's dad. Geoff and Lincoln, for the last time. I really don't think that guy made that phone call in an attempt to get free beef jerky. Rome. My beef is with car alarms. They're obnoxious. Nobody takes them seriously. And they make lots of people angry. Abolish car alarms. Scott in San Diego. He's got a point. Rome. My beef is with coworkers who constantly tell you how busy they are. Hey, Susan. In the time it took you to type out how hectic your day is, you could have given me the quick answer I needed and gone about your business. I wonder how much time you waste a day by telling people how busy you are. Do your job so I can do mine. Ryan and Rockford, these are all good beefs. All good beefs. Ritz in the back row like, "Uh uh-huh, hell yeah, hell yeah. Ritz, who's telling you how busy they are so you can't do your job? You have the easiest job here, Ritz. He's looking around at everybody in the front row. Mmm. Mmm. Alvi. Rome. My beef is with these idiot anti-vaxxers who act like they're appalled at what could go into their body. Half these guys are the same clowns who go to Mickey D's, Taco Bell, and Burger King on a rotational schedule for their lunch meal. It doesn't seem to be a problem to add that blubber and cholesterol to your muffin top of a stomach. But a vaccine that helps stop a pandemic is dangerous? Shut and get shot up, dog. Jeff from PDX. King Kerr. I've gotten both my vaccines and a shingle shot. Rome, as a tennis coach, my beef is with the tennis parent who gets upset with me because their 12-year-old kid is not getting better. 
This is the parent who is texting me weekly their frustrations about why little Timothy isn't the next Roger Federer. Hey, tennis parent, maybe the reason he's not getting any better is because he plays once a week for one hour. Jeff. Glam smack. My beef today is with dudes that drive their significant other's vehicle. Hey, buddy. (laughs) Nice rhinestone license plate frame. Maybe don't drive like a bag and just lay low when you're whipping the vehicle with the Minnie Mouse ears. Migs in the 562. I love that from the 562. Let's go to the phones quickly. Patrick, Three Lakes, Wisconsin. Patrick, what's your beef? Hi, Rome. I do have a beef. When I'm sitting out in my dock in Three Lakes up in northern Wisconsin, I turn on my transistor, and what do I get? I get country music or golden oldies. I don't get the Southern California radio show. Now, you'd think I could get the Southern California radio show hosted by our practical neighbor up in the Eagle River area, but maybe you can make a phone call. I can sit there all day long and not listen to anything but uh, the Rome show. So that's my beef, and I'd like to see some changes. Got you, my man. Patrick, I appreciate that. You're right. I hate that. I hate that you and I are practically neighbors, and I understand that doc life, but that phone that you just called me on, that phone that you just called me on is actually a radio. You don't need to listen to the show only on transistor radio. That phone that you called me on is a radio. Odyssey app. Check the Odyssey app. Download it. Stream for free. Live every single day. Get it on the dock. If you miss the show, Spotify, yo. I understand the dock life, though. 1-800-636-8686. She made it back. Kathleen. Kathleen, what's your beef? Terry Bradshaw and everyone who's hating on Aaron can all go jump in a lake full of fleas and eat a maggot sandwich. Aaron's not petty. He's not petulant. He's just sick of losing in a championship game, and I'm sick of watching him lose. He deserves to have not yet another year of his career go down the toilet. Kathleen. I still love how she has never once ever said hello to me or addressed me by name. Like, right into it. I love it. I love it. Let's go to Idaho. Nathan and, and Kathleen, don't you ever address me by name or say hello. Nathan in you know, Idaho, I should say. What is your beef? Yo, Rome. Hey, my beef is that I'm a FedEx driver, and I just can't stand it when people always ask me what's in the box. I don't know. I must have Superman X-ray vision or something like that. <laughs> my man, Nathan in Idaho. Lots of drivers complaining about that. Let's go to Houston, Jerome. Jerome, what's your beef? My beef, Rome. Thanks for the line. My beef is with these sorry, evil some bitches run the Houston, Texas organization. Jack Easterby, Cal McNair have run this thing in the ground so bad. I'm telling you what, I've got one thing I'm dreaming for, and that is the 0-17, the worst record in NFL history. And I want that bad boy tattooed on Jack Easterby and Cal McNair's forehead forever. Losers out. My man, well done, evil some bitches. It's a good segment.
When you call a Dell Technologies advisor, you are talking to somebody who is not waiting for their turn to speak. No, they actually want to hear what you have to say. They're focused on you, ready to give advice on everything from laptops to the cloud and offer tailored solutions powered by Intel vPro platform to keep your small business ready for what's next. Our advisors listen so you know your small business needs have been heard. Call a Dell Technologies advisor today at 877-ASK-DELL. That's 877-ASK-DELL. And they've got a new GM. It's Terry Fontenot. Terry, it is great to have you on the show. Terry, how are you? Jim, I, I appreciate you, man. Most people, uh, you, you really do your homework, man. Some people don't even know 18 years. They say 16. They mess it up. But you do your homework, man. Well, man, I appreciate you saying that, Terry. Listen, the fact of the matter is I've been wanting to speak to you for a while, so I wanted to make sure that I was all buttoned up and ready to do so. So I'm fired up that you're here. You just finished up your first draft as GM. You've obviously been through a lot of different drafts in your career, but given that you are the guy now, you are the GM, how did this one feel compared to all the others before it? That's a great question, and and I would say it felt we were so prepared going into it and not – I'm not speaking for myself. I'm speaking really about the group, and I'm talking about the the, the scouts, the coaches, uh, analytics, IT development. Everyone involved in the process was we were so prepared because of that, because of all the hard work that that a lot of smart people put into it. And we had some really good people in the room, and 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 we, I think it was our draft, it was our process, and so we felt very prepared. So it was very smooth. Talking to Terry Fontenot, you know, Terry, you, when you put in that time, you've got a pretty good idea of how things are going to go, but you know how the draft is. Things do not always go as planned. You did have the fourth pick in the first round. The expectation was the three teams in front of you were going to take quarterbacks. So how did you approach that spot at number four? Did you have a pretty good sense of who you knew was going to be available at that time? We did. We had a really good sense, and we knew there could always be a curveball, and, but, but that's, that's what we expected. And but what happened, Jim, is because there was a little bit people didn't quite know. Uh, San Francisco d- did a good job of, of of not showing their hand. So there were teams that we talked to prior to that may have been willing to trade, depending on who was there. So we had a lot of those conversations, but we were really prepared for any scenario. Terry Fontenot is joining us. You end up taking Kyle Pitts out of Florida. Terry, I spoke to him before the draft, and we talked about how the term unicorn gets thrown around quite a bit to describe him. Going back to the college football season, analysts have been raving about this guy. You obviously had your own opinion. What does he mean to this offense? And in your opinion, how high is his ceiling? Yeah, I think I think his ceiling's really high because you just said it. You talked to him prior to, so you know what I'm talking about. This isn't going to be a surprise to you. He, he's probably the most grounded, most mature, most prepared 20-year-old I've ever been around. I, I wasn't at that point in my maturity level when I was 20 years old, but he, he really, and, and that's really what, I think that's what sets your ceiling. When, when you have that type of makeup, the makeup that he has, the young man that he is, and the work ethic, the passion, the intelligence, and then that combined with his skill set, I mean, his, his size, the athleticism, the body control, uh, his ability to make plays in traffic, the toughness, the competitiveness, all those traits that he has, all the physical tools, 
that combined with his makeup, I think you really expect him to reach his ceiling. I mean, Terry, this guy's absolutely amazing to me. I mean, who am I to say? But he is amazing to me. I think unicorns are a really good way to describe him. But I want to go back to a point that you made that as a 20-year-old, he's got a very different kind of makeup and mindset. And I agree with that. I think a lot of these guys do. To your other point, like I, in fact, I even said this to a number of the guys before the draft that when I was 20, man, I was a moron. Like I was an idiot. And these guys, it's amazing to me, Terry, like the way they are prepared. The world has changed. I understand the stakes are very high. It's a big time job interview, but you've been in the game a long time. What do you make of the way these guys come in, not only physically, but mentally, the way they're prepared for the next challenge and playing on Sundays? How different is it now than maybe even 10 years ago? Yeah, I think it is different. We were talking about this the other day, and it's it's at a lot of positions because you think about back when we were in high school or growing up playing sports, it's just a completely different level with everything that they're exposed to. I mean, my son's nine years old, and he plays flag football for like three different teams. And then you look at the, the high school, the passing camps, and everything these guys were exposed to before, it wasn't like that. We had 15 practices in spring, and that's it. But – there's there's so many things to to get these guys prepared, and there's so many um, so much that they can do, and, and they are a lot more prepared, I believe, uh, for the NFL. But even outside of that, this, this with Kyle, he, he just it, it, there's just a different level with him in terms of how prepared he is, and just the man he is, and he's just a he's just a really good person, and and that was important to us. That first draft class, you you have to get in the right man and the right people to, to, to build your culture the right way when you're talking about your draft picks and, and players you're signing. And we really believe we did that with this class. Hey, Terry Fontenot is joining us. I'm glad you said that. So in terms of finding the right player, you obviously want the right skill set. You want somebody who's going to fit your system. But as you point out, you want somebody who's going to fit the culture. I've heard you talk about how cool it was to listen to Ozzy Newsome back in the day talking about the way he approached the draft and what he was looking for in certain players. So what about your own approach? When you're looking for players right now and you're calling those shots, what are you looking for in terms of talent and mentality exactly? Specifically, what types of guys are you looking for? Yeah, like I said, you really do do your homework. It's uh, but Because but I, I hold that man, uh, Ozzy, in high regard. And, and I believe what he, he always focused on makeup. It was the right kind of guys now. But when we say makeup, we're talking about football character and personal character because when we talk about personal character we're talking about this is a good young man he's a good citizen and and we're not going to have to worry about him off the field he's going to do the right things he's going to be on time but then you talk about football character and we're talking about their passion their love for the game we're talking about film junkies guys that love the weight room love to work love to compete they're going to endear the teammates and they're going to enhance people around them so it, and it, it is two different things because you, you've been around guys that they might be good people, but they, they don't have that passion for their career, for what they're doing. And then vice versa, you might have some guys that, look, nobody's perfect. They might have some issues that we need to help them with in terms of their growth and their maturity, but they, they do have passion for the game. And so we're looking for it all. And, we, and when you take – you can put tape on any guy that we drafted and you can just watch the film, and it bleeds off. You see the way they compete. You see the toughness that they play with. And, and because we don't want guys, Jim, that, that they, they say they love the game, and, but then you put on the tape and you don't see it every play. So we really believe we got that kind of passion and, and that type of makeup in these players. Terry Fontenot is joining us. You know, Terry, I mentioned your early days with the Saints. You're from Lake Charles. You played your college ball at Tulane. Then you get an opportunity to interview. Man. What's that? <laughs> 
I'm getting, I'm getting nervous. You know everything. <laughs> no, nah, dude, you got nothing to be nervous about. I, I'm nervous that I'm, I, I'm nervous you're going to correct me on one of these things. So, so far, we're good, right? You played your college ball at Tulane. You get an opportunity to an interview for an internship. What I want to ask you is this. The story goes that when you were setting up a marketing caravan back in the day, Saints GM Mickey Loomis took you aside and he had a conversation with you. What do you remember about that moment? Yeah, that, that's a good, yeah, we're on that caravan and I remember every single player that was on the caravan. Like I remember that whole moment just like it was yesterday. And, and I tell it, I explain, I tell that story to my kids and because I explain to them how you do anything is how you do everything. You have to take everything w- with pride and, and whatever you're doing, make sure you do it to the absolute best of your ability. And that I was an intern and, and what I would do is I would set up when we go to different places, we're literally, we're on a bus with the players, the GM, the head coach, and, and I was the, the intern on the bus. And we'd go to malls and we'd go to parks and we'd go to auditoriums and we'd set up stuff to, to, so the guys could sign autographs. And, and I, I was doing that. I was doing the grunt work. And Mickey pulled me off the side and he said that, hey, we got an opportunity. It was actually Ryan Pace was the scouting assistant at that time. And Ryan Pace was getting promoted to, to, to be a pro scout. And so he said, we're going we're gonna to have an opportunity for you to be a scouting assistant, a scouting intern, if you want that opportunity. And I always tell people, if, if, if I wouldn't have been working uh, the way I should have been working at that moment, then Mickey might have had me in mind, but he wouldn't have given me that opportunity. So uh, I feel like just approaching everything the right way, I, I think that's important. I think that's an amazing anecdote. Honestly, I really do. I think you're right. Had you not been approaching it that way, when that particular person approached you that day, you and I probably are not having this conversation. And one of my big takeaways from this is that line, how you do anything is how you do everything. Now, I spoke to Arthur Smith earlier this offseason. Could not have been more impressed with what I heard from him. Clear from our conversation, the respect he has for you. What do you like about what he brings to the organization, and how would you describe the shared vision the two of you have? Yeah, he, he's special. He's he's obviously he's really smart, and and he obviously knows that his football acumen is through the roof. But he's all about relationships, and he, he's all about the people. And, and you look at the coaching staff that he's put together special man from from Dean Pease to Dave Ravone to Marquise and he, he put he brought in some special men and 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 they're about relationships and they're about building relationships with players he, you know he 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 told the players that hey if if you ever have any issues or any concerns come to me go to Terry don't don't just read something and just come directly to us and he knows how important that is that trust factor but then the other thing about him is is he sees things he, he's not just stuck in the moment and just living for the next game. He really he has a business mindset and he understands the big picture and and, and he understands the discipline of making decisions that that aren't going to that are going to help you in the future and and thinking past just this year and just this game and and so to have a coach with with all those traits that he has but also to have that big picture mindset has been it's, it's been really fun, man. It's, it's been fun working with him. Hey, Terry, I'm going to be careful how I ask you this because it's not your situation, so I'm not asking you to comment on it, but what you just said really struck me. Quote, it's all about relationships. I can't help but wonder from the outside looking in at Green Bay and how that thing went sideways on them that if they were, quote, all about the relationships, 
that maybe this would have been preventable? Again, I'm not asking you to comment on that specifically, but is this not what we're talking about? Do you not want to make sure things like that don't happen by minding the relationships? Well, well like I said, with one thing that, that, that he said, is, and he, he told the players, and he actually said it in the team meeting, he said, look, there's going to be a lot of stuff out there. You're going to read stuff. Because it happened with us, Jim. Like There, are certain, there were reports about things that, that I said about our players or, or things that I wanted to do and he wanted to do. And it's funny when you see reports that, that me and Arthur were, were on a different page. And, and so it's funny when you read stuff like that. But he told, he told the players, he said, whatever you read, whatever you see, no one will ever speak for me or Terry. That's not going to happen. Nobody's ever going to speak for us. So just come directly to us. And we'll talk about it because I think that's a part of the business. That just is. There's going to be stuff out there, and and it's a popular sport, and so everyone's going to have their take. But sometimes you do see stuff in the media that they're speaking for an individual, and so he just made it clear to the players that no one speaks for us. So if you ever ever have a question or anything, come directly to us, and we'll be honest and transparent. He is the general manager of the Atlanta Falcons. He was named to that capacity in January. And as I mentioned, he spent the previous 18 years with the Saints. Atlanta coming off a 4-12 and season. Got a new GM, got a new coach. Terry Fontenot, my guest. Terry, like I said, I've been looking forward to that for a long time. Lived up to all my hype and expectations for you. Great to have you on the show. Let's make sure we do that again soon, Terry. Man, I'll be on your show anytime, man. I have a lot of respect for you, man, and I really appreciate you. Brandon Bean is my guest. Brandon, really nice to have you on the show. How are you? I'm doing well, Jim. Appreciate you having me on. It is really good to have you on, Brandon. Let me ask you this. Like, I understand there's still work to be done, but this team is back. The buzz is extremely thick. What's it like to be in the middle of this incredible bounce back by the franchise, and what's it like to be with the Buffalo Bills at this time? Yeah, it's it's fun. I mean, you, you, you talked about it in the intro. Just This fan base is unmatched. Uh, it's, it's one of the historic fan bases this league's uh, had for so long, and, and – when they're winning, I mean, it's, they, they back this team even when they're losing. I mean, they, they show up. Uh, I remember even some years we played here in Carolina when it was a down year, and their fans were into the game as if they were, you know, a 10-win team. And they just they, – it's, it's a college-type atmosphere, and, and social media has really helped them. They, they do a great job with it, but just, the you know, the Bills Mafia is not just in western New York. It, it's nationwide, and – and our players, they love it. They appeal to it, and, and they they it allows them to mesh with our fans. So it, it's been fun. Uh, we want to get this team, you know, a Lombardi Trophy. We haven't done that, and that's uh, that's what this fan base deserves. Brandon Bean is joining us. I think you made a great point because I did make the point that when the team is good, the NFL is better. But I was actually going to make the point, and then you made it for me. Even when the team was not as competitive, man, they show up. They show up every single Sunday with that same heat, that same fire, that same passion. It's amazing. I was also going to say, I think that nationally people understand the passion of the Bills Mafia, but unless you're really in it, it's almost impossible to really know. Like, Can you explain what the team means to the fans and then what the fans mean to this team? Yeah, I mean, you, you can't. our players can't walk around this community and not be noticed. And I'm not talking about Josh Allen. I'm talking about, um, you know, backups, whoever. They'll know every rookie that we just picked. If they see him in the grocery store, they won't, they know him. I mean, they study him. They know everything about him. And I know when I was in Carolina, which is not a huge area, um, you know, players could roam around. Obviously they knew the Steve Smiths and Julius Peppers and Jake Galones and Cam Newtons, but 
um, you know, back-end players could kind of roam and live their life, and I think that's the way it is in most communities, but but they can't here. And, and again, our fan base, you know, a funny story, Jim, is we uh, – so Stefan Diggs is our first year with Steph, and we're playing with no fans, so he's hearing about Bill's Mafia. And uh, we win the AFC East in Denver – and we fly home. We land at you know one thirty two in the morning. It's uh, it's it's sub freezing. It was in the twenties, I think. But we had thousands of fans out there uh, waiting to greet this team. And he was just he was blown away. The players were telling him like before we land, like dude, you have no idea what's going to happen when you get off this plane because there were social media posts of people already out there. And he was blown away. He's like, I, you know, I played college. I played in Minnesota. I've never seen anything like it. Brandon Bean joining us. I love that story. That is such a good anecdote about Stefan Diggs, who I'm going to ask you about in a minute. But, you know, to your point that it's almost like a college town. It's one thing that, of course, that when your star players are walking around, they'll be recognized, but they know everybody. They know the rookie. They know everybody on the depth chart. It does kind of remind me, Brandon, like way, way back in the day when we syndicated this show and I first came on the air in Nebraska and I went to Lincoln for the first time. I was blown away. Like they knew everybody on the depth chart and it's not just the stars and it reminds me of the Bills Mafia you mentioned Stefan I mean that was such a huge swing that you made in bringing him in and it paid off with 127 receptions more than 1500 yards you knew he was a playmaker but what has he meant to the team and the organization overall yeah I mean he just uh he's a competitive fiery dude he 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 comes in and like he doesn't just go through practice to get to game days. I've, I've been around good players that they kind of just feel their way through the week and, they, and they're ready to go in game, and that's how they do it. Steph raises the intensity as soon as you step on that field. He's, he's mellow in the building through meetings, but when he steps on the grass, it's a different intensity and, and a fun thing to watch. I mean, not only in training camp, but all season. Him and Tredavious White would just go against each other in one-on-ones and it would just raise the intensity and, and that's what you know iron sharpens iron we use you know quotes like that all the time but uh that's what he brought and you know he, he did a great job of not trying to be something he was he just he felt his way onto the team and by mid-season even though he wasn't voted a captain at the beginning of the year he was one of the leaders he might as well have been a captain I'd, you know i'd be surprised if he's if he's not one uh, here in 21. We're talking to Brandon Bean. I don't know, Brandon, I'm on the outside looking in, but this guy just strikes me as fierce, like a fierce competitor, a fierce worker. He's going to make guys around him better. And then you've got your quarterback, Josh Allen, an all-pro, an MVP candidate last year in his third season. I mean, it's amazing the explosive growth that he's experienced. The thing that I'm really struck by, though, and tell me about this, it seems like his teammates not only like him, like they absolutely love him, and they will go to battle for him. Him. So how would you describe him as a leader and what his personality means to the team? Yeah, I mean, Josh, from the day we drafted him, I, I told the media, like, this guy is Buffalo. You know, uh, small-town farm boy in, in uh, the Fresno area, Fireball, California. Um, blue-collar upbringing. You know, his dad told him, uh, you're either playing, you're either on the farm or you're playing sports. That's your, that's your excuse to not be out on the farm. And um, not highly decorated, goes to junior college, Finally gets a look, Wyoming, uh, you know, which is you know not one of the major you know schools putting out quarterbacks. But uh, Josh is just head down. Guys love him. Shows up every day. He doesn't act any different when he was in the MVP race than he did his rookie year. And he just has a, a confidence. And when he steps in that huddle, the guys believe something good's about to happen. And that's important. That's what that's what the good ones have. 
and they want to believe in that guy, and, and Josh brings that every day. Yeah, Brandon, obviously, when you take a shot at him the way you did, and you not only pick him, but you move up to get him, you obviously had a really strong feeling about him. But as I mentioned, his growth is just meteoric. It's just explosive. You expected really good things from him, but did you expect him to be doing what he's doing so soon in his career? Well, you know, we thought um, it's hard to say where you expect because you, you don't try and put um, exactly where he's, he needs to be after year two, year three. But the one thing that, that really gave us confidence in drafting Josh was he had the DNA. Obviously, we talk about potential all the time, and it probably gets overused. But Josh, we just felt, you know, being an under-recruited, uh, didn't go to all these seven-on-seven passing academies and like so many do these days. And uh, we just felt like with, with coaching, with time, that he has the DNA, the drive, the competitive spirit, he wants to he wants to be the best and, and anything less than the best is not good enough for him and that's that's why he gets so much credit for for his what he's done i mean there are a lot of people that help have helped him brian dorsey you know i mean uh, brian dable ken dorsey um he works with jordan palmer in the off season but you have to give josh the most credit because he cares about his craft he wants to be great he talks to uh, quarter, you know, former quarterbacks. I know Tony Romo's helped him some. Peyton Manning. He just, um, he's not afraid to ask the right questions. People who have done it and been there. Well, so he's he's about all the right stuff, and he's got like unbelievable talent. Obviously, Brandon being my guest for a couple of more moments, but he's got a chip, right? He's got a chip because of where he came from. When you're putting a team together and you're trying to get the right culture, and you're working with Sean McDermott on that, when you're selecting players and you're looking to draft guys and sign guys, how much of that that chip or that intangible thing comes into play when you're looking for players? It, it definitely does. I mean, we. We grade players, you know, if you, if you want to talk about the draft, which we just had, Jim, uh, we grade players, we put them on the board by their talent, um, but we put markers and indicators, um, if the guys that have chips, uh, the guys that have been captains, the guys that, uh, over, they're just gonna, they're gonna leave no stone unturned, kind of like I talked about Josh. And there, there are so many guys that we talk about, their floor as a player and their ceiling as a player. But if they don't have that DNA, that they're going to do everything and, and leave no stone unturned, the potential and the, and the high ceiling does you no good. And so we're definitely looking for guys that are willing to invest in their careers. They're not just going to be a six-month player, that they're going to, you know, this whole offseason, that they're going to be doing everything they can on the field and then mentally off the field to be the best version of themselves. All right, so quick, that's really fascinating to me about what you're looking for in a player. What are you looking for in a coach? Clearly, you and Sean McDermott are on the same page, and you kind of, even Terry Pagula said, they're connected at the hip, the two of those guys. So what were you looking for in a coach, or what would you look for in a coach? Yeah, I mean, uh, Sean, Sean has that great DNA. Uh, he's a blue-collar guy as well, but intelligence. And um, a guy that is a CEO, you know, Unfortunately, you see many coaches get to this level because they were a good coordinator, but they get to the, the head coach level and they don't understand the big picture, the CEO look. And being able to um, talk to his players, yes, discipline, um, all those things that we want to be, we don't want to beat ourselves. And Sean does a great job of preaching you know, the fundamentals of the game, but he also does a great job of having a leadership council. And, and you have your captains, he's got his leaders, but just – Knowing, hey, you know, being able to hear these guys and, hey, today we've gone four straight days of pads or, or whatever, they need, a, they need a break. Or, hey, we just need to back off here. Or we, or we need to – sometimes we've had guys that said, Coach, 
we haven't done enough nine on seven. We, you know, we missed some tackles this game. We weren't physical. What, what's going on? And I think he does a great job of having the pulse of our team and, and, and really understands who the leaders are, who's not. And, and that helps you when you have adversity. Every team each season goes through some. And, and I think Sean's got a great pulse in our locker room. Brandon Bean joining us. I've got about 90 seconds. Brandon, I understand there's a process. I understand it's one day at a time, one thing at a time. I understand you're only focused on what you can control, but have you allowed yourself to imagine what it might feel like to bring a Super Bowl victory to that town? Oh, uh, Jim, you have no idea. I wake up uh, thinking about it all the time, and, and that's that's what drives you. And that's, uh, you know, I know I speak for Sean and the Pagoules as well. Uh, we're also competitive that we're looking for any inch you know, to, to make us better and, and, and win that last game that we lost to get us in the big game. And um, There will be nothing greater in western New York than the day the Buffalo Bills win it, and I hope I'm fortunate enough to be here when it happens. He is the general manager. He has been since May of 2017. He did spend 19 years with the Panthers. Buffalo 13-3. and They won the AFC East, and they are looking to continue. Brandon being my guest. Brandon, so good to talk to you. Thank you so much for the conversation. Great to have you on the show. I hope we can do it again soon. That was a blast. Sounds good, Jim. Thanks for having me. Good night, night.